Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. And welcome back to Tony Cast Today. I'm Guy Rilford. In for Tony, as Tony deserves some well-deserved vacation. He's traveling uh, off to see his folks, as I understand, and that's good for him. He, he's a hardworking guy, does an awful lot uh, he, uh, on the air, uh, as well as his podcast. Just released his book, uh, which I have an autographed picture, or copy of. I will have you know, uh, Let's Go Bourbon. I attended his book signing uh, last week. It was a lot of fun. I actually took him a copy of my book. I wrote, anybody knows the gun safety, uh, or excuse me, the, uh, let me back up. Anybody knows the dummies books, like Accounting for Dummies, uh, Microsoft Word for Dummies. I wrote Gun Safety and Cleaning for Dummies and uh, was pleased to do so. Uh, the, that publisher was based right in Indianapolis, uh, where I live, and came to me in 2012. And so I actually took Tony a copy of my book to his book signing, and we had, we had some fun with that, took some pictures. It was, it was awful cool. But uh, uh, Let's Go Bourbon, uh, I have a copy. Of, I have now already read, too, by the way, and uh, learned a lot, uh, including why bourbon is uniquely American and what separates whiskey spelled with an E-Y from whiskey spelled with just a Y. Producer Ari, do you know the answer to that question? I do. I, you know, I've worked with Tony for four years, so I do. <laughs> and I would reveal it, but he would much prefer you buy the book and read it for yourself. That is a great, that is a great save, because I may have done something knuckleheaded here and revealed the answer to that question. Uh, so you're, that's, you're exactly right. And that was one of the things I did not know. I've been a bourbon drinker, um, and, and to a lesser degree, you know, scotch and other forms of whiskey, with a Y, um, but uh, never knew what actually separated the two based on spelling. And there is a very specific reason some can cannot be called whiskey uh with an e because they don't meet the definition and vice versa with whiskey with just a y but anyway tony is uh, off doing great things and it's a pleasure for me to be here in his stead uh we're going to get into now and i've been really looking forward to this discussion you know indianapolis like an awful lot of major cities um, is facing a, a very significant increase in crime. And, and in some major cities across the country, um, this is being attributed to some degree uh, to COVID, which I think is a cop-out. I'm not sure that's true at all, especially when you look at what the trends have been in a lot of major cities, including here in Indianapolis. Um, uh, it's also being blamed to some degree on defund the police initiatives. And in some cities like San Francisco and New York, where in fact caving to pressure from uh, extreme progressives. They have, in fact, cut police budgets. And the mayor of San Francisco has, has done a classic 180 on this, by the way, going from, oh, defund the police, taking resources away from police officers, then turning around going, egads, we have an increase in crime. We need more police resources. Uh, so whatever reason you ascribe, and I'm sure it's a, it, it's a whole series of different reasons, and it's not going to be easy to ever put your finger on one thing. But Indianapolis, like a lot of cities, I think Indianapolis is emblematic of what's going on in a lot of major cities in, in, in terms of an increase in crime and an increase in violent crime. And what's interesting is what has just happened here late last week is we've had a number of Republicans in the Indiana State Senate uh, come together, and, and these are folks uh, whose districts include 
parts of Indianapolis. Probably, if you added all these folks together, they probably encompass pretty much all of it of Indianapolis. Um, and, but they've come together and they've filed now some bills at the state level, and this is where I think this is really interesting, and and I think it's also uh, creative, and to some degree aggressive. Uh, and I don't mean that in a negative way, in terms of state representatives who, yes, they're state representatives and they're elected to the state Indiana General Assembly. At the same time, they represent a district in Indianapolis and care what is going on here in Indianapolis. And they can be motivated by that to pass some reforms that will be statewide, but that could potentially have a significant impact on crime right here in Indianapolis. And and I'm, I'm pleased that right here in the studio, I've got State Senator Aaron Freeman, and uh, again, from Indianapolis, whose district is here in Indianapolis. Uh, and Senator, first of all, thanks and, and welcome for uh, joining us here today. Guy, thanks for having me. And, and we've seen a number of bills. Um, I think there are, as I count them, five. There's five. Um, that have been filed by uh, Indiana Republicans, and and first of all, uh, can I call you Aaron? You and yeah, I, you and I've been uh, friends for a yeah. while. I never want to show disrespect to someone who's uh, who's earned um, the title of senator or any other elected official. But you and I've been friends for a while, so if I can do that, that's great. Um, what really motivated you and the other authors of these other four bills, including the one you authored, to come together and offer these at the state level? Even though I think um, we have to acknowledge they're motivated to some degree by what's going on in Indianapolis. Yeah, guy, the crime issue is just one that I don't think, um, you know, people of good conscience can sit back anymore and, and just let it play out. I mean, I think something's got to happen uh, on the state level. I, I think we just want to more than anything say, hey, we're here to help. You know, not that we have all the ideas, not that this is going to solve all the problems, not that this is going to, you know, make make this situation go away. But I really think it can help. I mean, I, I, th I think when you look at these five bills in their totality, and I think it says a, a, a great deal, by the way, that this is, you know, these are Senate bills six through 10. So for those of you out there that aren't in the, you know, in the General Assembly all the time, I mean, the House has some priority bills, usually starts with 10,001 and, and kind of goes up. Senate bills start with Senate Bill 1 and kind of go up. So those first 10 bills are really kind of the priority bills of, of that chamber's uh, body. And so for these to be six through 10, I got to thank my colleagues for understanding the issue and, uh, and allowing five of us that do represent portions of Marion County to kind of come forward with some ideas to help. Well, before we get into the specifics, let me ask you a, a broad question, which is, um, do you get any pushback or have you gotten any pushback on the idea that the Indiana General Assembly as the state legislature ought to be introducing bills directed to what you one could argue is a local issue, which is crime in Indianapolis. You know, you, you asked that question and, and a way I'm going to answer it um, is a lot of people at the legislature always talk about home rule and they talk about, you know, we got to let locals make decisions. And I find it uh, very peculiar that, I mean, you sit in the general assembly and you, and you listen and it's about every bill, everybody's for home rule until they've got an issue that they got to fix. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and then it's not so much about home rule anymore. I mean, look, uh, I, I will tell you, uh, Chairman Mike Young of the Corrections and, and Criminal Law Committee on the Senate side did a great job last Wednesday. He had over the mayor, uh, the police chief, like all, you know, city people. We, we met with court people. Uh, he really tried. He met with, you know, Rick Snyder and the FOP. We brought some of the folks from the city council over. Um, you know, President Osley came over. I mean, I, look, I hope people understand we got to get past this whole Republican Democrat, you know, you, in your question, you, you know, you said five Republican senators. Well, 
I hope this gets bigger than that. You know, I Good hope there, I hope there's some Democrats that sign on. I hope we certainly and we engage, you know, our, our colleagues on the other side of the aisle. I hope they come forward with ideas and we got to get past this. Right. I mean, I don't think people that that see three people shot downtown Indianapolis on Saturday night. I mean, that's not a Republican or Democrat issue. I mean, we all got to agree. We got to get past this party label stuff and we got to fix our city and we got to make our downtown safe or we got real issues despite political party well that's a, a, a very important point and i i agree completely plus i think it's naive to, for anyone to believe um that crime is a is a unique problem to indianapolis i mean you know you get on um any of the the local newspaper uh, websites, uh, whether it's Evansville or Gary or Fort Wayne or South Bend uh, or any other city in this, in, you know, significantly sized city in, Indi- in Indiana, you're going to see murders. You're going to see armed robberies. You're going to see the same problems. Um, now, I don't uh, track the, the numbers as closely in those other cities because I live here. Um, having said that, um, I, I, I got to believe that anything we can do uh, statewide um, motivated by what's going on in Indianapolis or otherwise, can have a very positive effect in other parts of the state. That's right. And I think there's a lot of people, especially the Donut Counties and others, uh, that look and say, boy, I wish we could solve this problem. Boy, I wish we could address this now. Boy, I wish we could fix this. Let's, you know, let's not let Indianapolis's crime issues spread to Johnson County, to Hamilton County, to some of these places. So I think a lot of folks are going to be very willing to kind of sign on and, and hopefully help us address this. Well, absolutely. Well, let's get into a little bit of the specifics. And uh, let's first talk about uh, your bill. Um, and again, you mentioned this, but let me just put this back out there. Um, we're talking about Senate bills 6, 7, 8, and 9, and 10. 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Um, each authored uh, principally by a different state senator. Um, and, and these are all folks, by the way, I've worked with on, on a lot of different issues. I'm mainly a 2A guy, as you know. You and I have worked closely on 2A issues. Uh, I will say, by the way, uh, Senator Freeman is a tremendous supporter of Second Amendment rights and has done great work for us on a lot of important bills, including the self-defense immunity bill that uh, I still am appreciative for everything you did in the Senate on that. Um, but but these are names that are very familiar. Mike Young, uh, who wrote uh, Senate Bill 99 last year that uh, would have uh, allowed business owners uh, more ability to defend their uh, their property and their businesses. Uh, Jack Sandlin, who has a history in law enforcement, who wrote the original Church Carry Bill uh, that we finally got passed in 2019. You, who's been so instrumental uh, on 2A issues as well. So these are, these are people I've worked with because of what I do for a living and, and the kind of bills I advocate. Um, but let's get into specifically your bill, which is uh, Senate Bill 8. What, what are you trying to accomplish with Senate Bill 8? Well, Guy, it's it's almost, I'll start with saying, you know, 10 years ago, if you just said to me, Aaron, you're going to have to author Senate Bill 8, and you're going to have to deal with, uh, you know, local communities, for example, giving crime prevention dollars to folks that are then bailing people out of jail, I would have told you, you're crazy. Like, <laughs> right. this isn't possible, right? But And some of those are. dollars came from taxpayers, too? Yeah. It's, so, look, Senate Bill 8 deals with these charitable bail organizations. It's simply going to bring them under the umbrella of the State Department of Insurance. It's going to regulate them. So, just like bail bondsmen and other people that are engaging in this kind of work. Uh, It's going to uh, require them to get a license if they do this for more than two people. So we we try to make some, you know, some accommodations for truly a one-off, you know, a church has an issue or something and they need to, they need to do something. We, we, you know, we all get that, but um, it's, it's going to limit the, this, uh, that they can't do it for felonies. They can only do it for misdemeanors. It's going to say that any organization that takes any kind of public taxpayer dollars 
cannot engage in, in bailing people out of jail. And then finally, it's going to work on the issue of if you saw the and I'm grateful to see that the court has kind of withdrawn their support of a certain group mm-hmm. uh, that's that's working here in Marion County. But in that letter, they, they agreed to give all of the bail money back when someone's convicted. That means court costs, fines, fees, probation fees, all that kind of thing. And guys, you know, being a lawyer, I mean, it's expensive to run the criminal justice system. I mean, it is. I mean, it, it, people can talk about whatever they want to talk about, but somebody's going to pay for the policing, the prosecuting, the def- the public defense, the court work, the probation work afterwards. Um, somebody's going to pay for this, and it's either going to be the person committing the crime or it's going to be the taxpaying citizen that's probably the victim of the crime too. And I just feel like if somebody is going to post a bond, then we should require before that all that bail bond money goes back that the that they deduct court costs, fines, fees, uh, probation fees, things like that. Again, somebody's going to pay for it, and in, in my opinion, if you're going to engage in this work, the money should be deducted before it ever goes back. And that's particularly true when if someone's getting convicted and they're now being um, sentenced and and potentially going off to the criminal justice system or, or the correction or the Department of Corrections. How much do they care about going back and actually paying those fines and fees and court costs that they were assessed when they were convicted? It's waived routinely, and I don't. You know, this isn't. Look, the judges need discretion, and and if somebody's indigent, I mean, we get that. I mean, we're not asking somebody that cannot pay to pay something they can't pay. But in this situation, my argument is they're not indigent. I mean, if you post a whatever the bond is, $10,000 or whatever the number is, then that person's clearly not indigent. Somebody came up with some money to get him out of jail, so we should use that money to fund the system. A heck of a good point. Well, I'll tell you, we need to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be joined, and I'm very excited to get his input as well, um, by FOP President, that is Fraternal Order of Police President uh, Rick Snyder, uh, a, a, a frequent guest on my show and other shows uh, on WIBC in Indianapolis. But Rick's going to join us and, and really interested in his perspective um, as a gentleman who represents a lot of law enforcement officers right here in central Indiana. But right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford in for Tony Katz on Tony Cast Today. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford in for Tony Katz on Tony Cast Today. And we've been talking to State Senator Aaron Freeman about not just his bill. He's introduced a bill as he was discussing uh, before the break, Senate Bill 8. And, and this is aimed at um, regulating some of these charitable bail organizations that uh, have come in and and posted the bond of some pretty violent offenders, put them back on the street, and and using examples from here in Indianapolis, um, has then, in a lot of people's minds, directly resulted in additional crimes being committed. Uh, And in particular, uh, we've looked at some fairly egregious cases, including one of a uh, man named Deonta Williams, who allegedly, uh, here very recently, and there's a lot of video and there's a lot of evidence, so I put ev- allegedly in quotes a little bit, even there as an attorney, but uh, who stabbed two Indianapolis police officers after luring them to a location with a fake 911 call, stabbed one of the officers, sliced his neck, stabbed the other one in, his, in the chest, and he was only out of jail and on bond because uh, one particular organization, the Bail Project, bonded him out of a previous uh, for a, a previous case that he was otherwise in jail for. 
So he had his local organization come in and post his bond. He's out on the jail. Next thing you know, he's stabbing two police officers. And that's as egregious as that is. What's right up there is another example not too long ago where in December, a man named Marcus Garvin uh, was arrested for a stabbing incident at a gas station, goes to jail, having stabbed an attendant a clerk at a gas station, goes to jail. He's bonded out by the bail project. And he then not only, okay, we'll use the air quotes allegedly again, murdered his girlfriend, but then dismembered her body. And was only caught when people saw him transporting literally the pieces of her body. As grotesque and morbid as that is. So, I have to believe those particular instances have to be a motivation for a bill like yours. It, it is, and it's uh, sad and tragic, and you hope you never get there, and you're hoping the system's going to work itself out. But when you've got these situations, and, and again, Guy, I don't know the specifics of the two that you bring up, but I would, if I were you know, going to place a wager on the situation, I would bet that they're not on their first sheet of criminal history either. Exactly. And so, you know, it's a, dif- it's a different situation. I mean, we can all appreciate, the, and, and look, let me say this. I am a big proponent, and, ha- and in my career at the General Assembly, you know, I'm all for expungements, for example. I mean, mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. And contrary to some of my, you know, conservative friends that think I'm crazy, I mean, I, you know, and, and Rick Snyder may want to tase me after this. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, look, anybody who's who's done something and have pay, has paid their de- debt to society and has done everything we've asked them to do, I got no issue five years later or eight years later that they expunge oh, their Oh, I record. do a lot of expungements. I've got half a dozen of them sitting on my desk right now. I do a ton of them. Got, but but got to your no point, issue. yeah, I mean, this is eight years with a clean criminal history yeah. for a felony. And and only nonviolent felonies uh, are even eligible without the consent of the prosecutor. So there are a lot of good limitations on expungements. So I agree with you. I just bring it up just to say, look, this isn't a... You know, trying to, you know, somebody's going to say, oh, this is a, you know, lock them up and throw away the key approach. Look, some of these people on on your first offense, on your second offense, I mean, we can all agree that mistakes happen. But when you get on your fourth, fifth page of criminal history and, you know, in the one situation you brought up, when you've stabbed somebody in the past, you're out on and then this happened. I mean, we just can't. You can't sit back. I mean, what's that saying, right? You just yeah. all it takes for evil to flourish is for good men to stand by and do nothing. And and hopefully and thankfully, uh, the five of us that represent Marion County, including Kyle Walker and and Mike Kreider, um, you know, came together and and here we go. So let let's put ideas forward and let's get it done. Well, how much? Well, I, we're coming up here on the break at the bottom of the hour. We come back again. We'll be joined by FOP President Rick Snyder. Uh, hopefully. Uh, Aaron, you can stick around with us because, and we're also going to bring in uh, Indianapolis City County Council uh, Paul Anay and get his perspective as well. Right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford in for Tony Katz on Tony Cast today. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford in for Tony Katz on Tony Cast today. And we've got a discussion going on about some crime reduction initiatives going on here in Indianapolis. And again, th- these issues uh, in this legislation are specific to Indiana. Uh, at the same time, I, I think this is very much emblematic of what's going on all across the country. And I think it's a discussion that ought to be going on in any state. And I would guess this is virtually every state where in its major cities they're having 
uh, and observing a significant increase in violent crime over the last few years. It's been dramatic here in Indianapolis. We're going to set a record by a lot for homicides, um, and uh, and we're looking at an absolutely unacceptable uh, number when it comes to not just murders but other forms of violent crime. So we're talking about some crime reduction initiatives that uh, have been filed at the state level. And uh, I'm also excited, by the way, to join into the discussion. Uh, we've got uh, city county councilor Paul Inay. Uh, and uh, Paul, as I understand it, you're the minority whip, I think, these days. Is, is Are you not on the city council in Indianapolis? I sure am, Guy. I sure am. And, and thanks so much for joining the discussion. But we've also got Rick Snyder right here in studio. Rick Snyder, president uh, of the Fraternal Order of Police. Uh, and Rick is a, 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 an oft-invited uh, guest on my show on weekends on WIBC, uh, as well as Tony Katz's uh, morning show. But Rick, uh, welcome back uh, here uh, into the studio. Yeah, thanks for having us. But uh, let me let me before we get into the specifics here, and, and, and let me let me ask um, Aaron Senator uh, Freeman, um, could can you kind of briefly describe the other four bills we haven't talked about? Because the the one your bill, uh, Senate Bill Eight, talks about uh, putting some limitations on uh, the ability of these charitable organizations, quote unquote, to come in and post bond on behalf of violent criminals. And and because, again, we've had very specific examples right here in Indianapolis where people have been uh, bonded out by one particular organization and they go right out and commit murders. Um, so that's your bill. But there are four others. And I think we ought to at least briefly summarize what we're talking about. Yeah, so uh, Senate Bill 6 is Mike Young's bill. Uh, it's, a, again, dealing with bail. In this situation, it deals with, so if you're a violent felon and there's a statute on, on what is violent uh, felonies, he just says that, look, if, you, if you're before you're going to get bail, the court has to address that situation in open court. So the issue of the bond matrix and some of these things when, you know, I've heard prosecutors say, hey, we weren't able to, t you know, advise the court of some of these other situations or some of these issues the court should have considered. So it's got to be done in open court. And at the end of the day, it basically says that the, the minimum is going to be the bail matrix of that serious offense, and the court can't deviate below it. So, you know, it just makes some sense. Oh, again, only dealing with violent felonies, not dealing with the first-time misdemeanant who, you know, is drunk and disorderly out on the street, something like that. My colleague, Senator Sandlin, um, you know, again, career in law enforcement, has a has a bill that's just going to, you know, again, really simplistic. Just ask that IMPD work with other agencies. So you've got some other agencies that have law enforcement officers, you know, that are downtown and, um, you know, allowing them to, to have an, uh, an agreement where these folks can come in and, uh, and work together and just add some, you know, police officers to the street. Kyle Walker uh, has a bill that's talking about the ankle monitors and sets a standard. I mean, right now I think you'd be amazed at the the – the lack of people that are overseeing a huge number of people on ankle monitors. And, and a huge number, and, and Rick's told me this in the past, the, the most people in any city in America we yeah, have out on ankle monitoring, either awaiting trial or as part of a, a, conv a conviction and sentence. Yeah, there's some issues there. And, and uh, he, he, he has said he came up with the number 29 to just start the conversation that there should be somebody watching no more than 29 of these people. So when you have a situation, somebody gets out of their zone or leaves their house or cuts the thing off, the victims of that and law enforcement need to be notified right away, and we need to make sure people are on top of yeah. that. Is it even an ankle monitor if nobody's monitoring it? Well, that's that's a great question. So <laughs> let's address that. And then Senator Kreider, again, a, a career in law enforcement, um, uh, chair of Homeland Security for us in the Senate, uh, has a pilot project that basically is going to, 
put some grant dollars into a into a situation where we can address hotspots. So if you got a zip code in Marion County, for example, that's uh, you know seeing an, an uptick in crime, uh, and and IMPD or others come forward and say, hey, we got a really good idea, and, and here's the proposal to reduce crime in this area. Uh, Senator Kreider's bill would address that and put some money towards that to uh, to try to address the issue. So a very comprehensive package, nonpartisan. I mean, I don't, I can't see anybody, you know, saying this is Republican or Democrat. This is just trying to help the citizens of Indianapolis be safe in their own community. That's awesome, and, and thanks for going through each of those, especially the the four that were, were not even your bills. So that that description, I think, puts it in context uh, for listeners. Uh, Rick, uh, you represent an awful lot of police officers, uh, state, federal, and local, uh, right here in Indianapolis, including what eighteen hundred sworn IMPD officers. What 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 from the perspective of law enforcement? What's your reaction to what um, our state uh, senators are trying to accomplish here at the state level? Well, we're very grateful when we were uh, invited over to uh, receive a briefing on what these looked like. We were pleased to see that it addressed really just about every single issue we have raised over the past two years. It's important to remember the context of this, that while these uh, senators are taking an action here and demonstrating leadership, it's really only because after two years of waiting for others to act, they finally have to engage in this. Uh, people have said, why should the state house be directing these steps specifically to matters related to Marion County? Granted, many of them will apply statewide. Why should they be doing that? Well, it's because no one else has acted. And that's a key component here. Uh, meanwhile, we've seen our numbers just continue to skyrocket. You know, And again, here we are sitting again, you and I looking across the table at one another on the heels of a triple shooting in downtown Indianapolis, just literally right outside these windows and in the shadow of the city county building, the shadow of the mayor's office and the council office, and not a one of them say a word. And it isn't the first time, it's repeat uh, time after time. Uh, we're now over 1,330 people shot or stabbed in this city. And as of this morning, we had another homicide that's brought us to 262. These numbers are not sustainable. And that's the issue. That's why these gentlemen have had to say, hey, enough is enough. We're going to have to act if the city local leaders won't. And I think it's a salient point that the senator makes. This is a nonpartisan issue. Uh, partisan politics has no place in policing. However, we recognize this. Everyone wants to be safe, regardless of their background, regardless of what they look like, regardless of their gender. Everyone wants to live in a safe community. They not only expect that, they, uh, they deserve it, um, and they have the right to that. And uh, I'm just pleased that these folks are stepping up and uh, demonstrating that leadership. Outstanding. Well, or Councilman Anay, let me ask you, again, this should not be a partisan issue. Exactly as Rick just said, um, everyone wants to be safe. No one wants to see the murder numbers that we're seeing in Indianapolis. Uh, at the same time, the huge majority of Democrats on the Indianapolis City County Council haven't taken any action. Uh, FOP and, and, and others at IMPD have been calling on the council to do a lot for a long time. And the Democrat majority hasn't really done anything other than um, throw some money at the problem, it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but but what's your reaction, realizing you're on a very small minority of Republicans on the city county council, what's your reaction to essentially the state coming in, and some would say uh, doing the city's business for it? Well, I think first off, we have to acknowledge why, why uh, these uh, these uh, bills have had to be put forward, and that's because the policies of the supermajority, the mayor, and the prosecutor haven't worked. 
And while I agree that there, there isn't a place uh, in policing for politics, I think it's important to acknowledge why we're in the situation we're in. Uh, but we appreciate the state stepping up to partner with us to solve the problem uh, of crime and violence in the city. I think we all agree, Republican, Democrat, law enforcement, whatever background you have, that our state is at its best when the capital city is thriving, and we're not there right now. And you know, as Rick said, just uh, this weekend, three people were shot a few blocks from uh, the monument uh, in the shadow of uh, City Hall. And it cannot keep happening. And so we're just very appreciative of uh, Senator Freeman, uh, former city county councilor, Senator Sandlin, former city county councilor, uh, two individuals who have a great history of public service, who know the city of Indianapolis inside and out, and, of course, uh, the state legislature inside and out, uh, as well as the other other senators stepping up uh, to partner with the city to try to fix uh, some of these issues. And, And as Senator Freeman noted, you know, th- these are these are simple fixes. And and I- I'm just grateful that uh, these bills will focus on closing loopholes that exist within the criminal justice system and really begin to turn the ship around and focus on what I would call a justice for victims um, mentality. I think it's a good way to describe it. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in terms of um, some bond reform and looking at the the bail matrices or matrices that, for instance, resulted in automatic $500 bonds uh, for level six felonies, including for things like strangulation. Um, uh, it, it, you, as a minority member of the city council, you've taken a run at getting some of these fixed at the city level, have you not? Yeah, sure. I mean, we've done our best uh, as, a, as a Republican caucus to try to uh, do these fixes locally. Uh, unfortunately, uh, that uh, that didn't work out. So, again, we're just appreciative to have the state's partnership in this. We're all in this together. And uh, I think that it's very obvious um, that uh, that when the capital city is thriving, our state's at its best. So uh, we've done what uh, what we can uh, at the local level, but uh, we, we don't uh, have a lot of time to fix the issue. And so uh, this is uh, this is a well received, um, uh, you know, a proposal from uh, our senators and legislature. And Guy, if I could just chime in. Absolutely. Really, really, please really do. And, and, and anyone, please jump in uh, at any time. We, I, look, I would just say this. Um, it is critically important, as Paul was just talking about, that everybody's safe. If you're at 42nd and Post, if you're at wh- wherever you are, Franklin Township, Decatur Township, Pike Township, everybody's got to be safe. But from a state perspective, we also got to help downtown. We cannot have three people being shot on Market Street on a Saturday that we were talking. Yeah. You have Crossroads Classic. You had a ton of people downtown, basketball fans. You have a Colts game that night. I mean, it almost felt like pre-pandemic Indianapolis, yeah. you know, yeah. a very vibrant Saturday night. And I will just say that, you know, in my time on the council, it was, I think it was very clear uh, to criminals, don't come downtown. I mean, we we had situations that would come up and the police chief would immediately go to the to the to the camera and say, "Not downtown. I mean, this is not going on in the in the Mile Square. I mean, we've got to protect. We have a huge, uh, you know, convention business. I mean, obviously, Colts games, Pacers games. I mean, downtown is the crown jewel of this entire state." And we've got to pay attention to this as a state and get this right. Uh, I could not agree with you more, uh, Aaron. And, and in fact, during the break, we were talking that, you know, I was down here that Saturday. Night. I had my show and then I stuck around a little bit downtown Saturday night. And it almost had Super Bowl Indianapolis feel to it again. And that was a proud moment in, in, for anyone who cares about this city of how this city operated, how it looked, how safe it was. And you, you had a little bit of that feeling. And then later on that same night, 
three people shot, not a block off Monument Circle. Well, we need to take a break. We come back. I want to ask Rick Snyder, FOP president, um, you know, as, as representing all these cops on the street and as police officer himself, why that mentality of, hey, not downtown as a criminal, because I agree with you completely. The word was out not that long ago. You don't come downtown. And then here we have not only murders right off Monument Circle, you have 100 shots fired in a parking lot uh, at 200 South Meridian. What? Uh, uh, why not? Uh, why don't we have, I should say, that same mentality among bad guys of, man, don't go downtown or bad things are going to happen? I think, a, I think a cop's perspective on that is exactly what we ought to hear next. But right now we're taking a break. Thanks so much to our guests. We'll be right back. This is Guy Relford in for Tony Katz on Tony Katz Today. Welcome back. I'm Guy Relford. In for Tony Katz on Tony Katz Today. We're having what I think is a very important discussion uh, right here in Indianapolis where, where we're broadcasting from on some violence reduction initiatives that are being brought at the state level. And uh, in and, 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 and making a very important point just before the break, uh, Senator Aaron Freeman, who's here in the studio, uh, made the point that, you know, it wasn't that long ago that bad guys knew you just didn't come downtown. You didn't come downtown to start problems, to create trouble, uh, much less to, to shoot the place up, because if you did, you were going to jail, and, and you were going to get prosecuted, and in all likelihood, you were going to go away for an appreciable amount of time. And, and, and it, the city doesn't have that feel anymore. And I just want to ask Rick Snyder, FOP president, representing an awful lot of cops, why do you think that is? Well, I think you have to uh, put the uh, <laughs> the elephant on the table here and acknowledge that all of that changed in the summer of 2020 when conscious decisions were made to surrender the downtown of Indianapolis uh, in the middle of a riot. And we had over 100 businesses damaged or destroyed. We had four people shot, two of which were killed. We had officers that were under constant gunfire for hours upon hours for uh, two two days in a row. Uh, and were begging and pleading for help, and no help uh, was allowed to come in. Um, and at the same time, we were on the hills of when open public threats to murder police officers and their families were being made in public forums on social media, and even some of the local media was covering it, uh, and not one politician in charge in this city said a word about it. And when when we, when our elected officials literally and figuratively bowed their knee to a sense of evil in our community, specifically surrendered the downtown, hell comes with it. And here's what we've been uh, experiencing now. And so now people don't think twice about coming down and committing violence in downtown Indianapolis. But, Guy, I want to say this. We've been consistent in saying it's just as important that it doesn't occur in any other neighborhood in our city. And uh, but but what you've communicated to the neighborhoods is that when you allow it to occur in downtown, you definitely don't care about it occurring somewhere else. And that's why we say victims deserve better. That's right, because if you can get away with it um, at three blocks off the circle or a block off the circle, uh, aren't you going to get away with it at, 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 at 25th and Shadeland? I mean, you know, that, that you're exactly right. That, that is the mentality, the mentality, uh, clearly. And, and listen, I, I, we have, um, some time restrictions, uh, city councilman Paula Ney, uh, needs to take off here awfully, uh, before awfully long, but, but councilman, what do you think the reaction of Democrats, the, the huge majority of what 20 to five, I think the current 
uh, count is. What do you think the Democrats on the city county council are, are, are going to say or do uh, with respect to these initiatives now that have been brought at the state level? Do you, do you, do you see open opposition or do you, do you think they could possibly say, hey, look, we don't have to catch heat for this anymore because the state's going to uh, step in and fix it? Well, I hope they pull their pom-poms out and start cheer, cheerleading exactly. uh, for, for these initiatives. I mean, you know, we, this has been going on far too long, and uh, the, the city of Indianapolis administration and others have, have really refused to, to uh, correct the issue. And, uh, and thankfully, you know, uh, state senators and the Marion County delegation have put forward some really simple yet important solutions uh, moving forward. But Senator Freeman's right. We've made a tremendous investment in the downtown area over a number of years, and we're going to protect that investment, period. And I'm just appreciative that, that, that the state has partnered with the city in this way to, to send that message again. You know, you're not going to come downtown and, uh, and commit violent acts. You're, you're not going to come downtown and, you know, uh, unload 100 rounds. And I think when that message is brought back for the downtown area, as Rick noted, I think that message, message will resonate through other neighborhoods in the community uh, as well. Fantastic. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time. We know it's limited. Right now, we're taking a break at the top of the hour. This is Guy Relford in for Tony Katz on Tony Katz Today.